Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Oh, my David here with Kieran Murphy and Ken Ernie for Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Hi, guys. Hi, uh, it's an honour to be here. Also. I'm going to use this introduction to today's show to salute an unsung hero of Irish sport, a man whose contribution to the last decade of success in Irish rugby has been overlooked, frankly, for what? far too long. Simon Easterby? No, <laughs> the unseen work of Simon Easterby, Murph, is, uh, was also overlooked for too long. But I speak, of course, of... Gervin Dempsey? No, not the... Not Gerv the, Gerv the Arrow. Uh, I speak, of course, of the Wasps out half... Andy Good, his drop goal on Saturday, gifted Leinster home quarterfinal. After already missing a kick at the end of the first half, and also missing a key conversion in the second half, would be given a retake. Let's just say he gave us all the help we could get on Saturday. Uh, gave Leinster all the help they could get, I should say, of course. Uh, but if you cast your mind back to 2006, England versus Ireland at Twickenham, Shane Horgan, right, you remember yeah, as the hero in that triple crown winning game, right? Yeah. But I'll always remember the BBC commentary. If you remember this, two minutes ago, Eddie Butler and Brian Moore discussing the Man of the Match award. Moore gives it to Good and goes on and on about how he's masterminded this great English victory. I remember getting annoyed by it. Mm. Uh, in retrospect, even after Ireland won, I was thinking, well, actually, I don't know how annoyed I was. If you I'm watch sure. the YouTube clip of Shane, of Shane Horgan's brilliant try in the corner in Twickenham, it, I, you can see uh, in the build-up to that with the BBC commentary, all they're talking about is Andy Good, nothing to do with how Ireland still have like a major transfer. The camera actually pans to the newly named man of the match just as O'Gara dinks that little kick over the English defence mm. set in motion the match winning move uh, was Andy Good to blame for the unfortunate timing of that man of the match award I'm going to say yes yes, yes he, he was, was. Yeah. Andy Good, we salute you not the, not the most um, athletic looking of specimens Andy mm. Good. Maybe, well, maybe it's unfair to comment on a guy's appearance but uh, I was if quite if he's playing out half in, <laughs> in the European Champions Cup I think it's probably fair enough to, if, to suggest on, as I think you're doing that he might be carrying a couple of extra pants. Is that what you're well, trying it's to say? Just, it's, it? just, it's just the whole look. I mean, it's just, you know... Your, your, His hair, your, of course. Uh, yeah. Well, it's funny, because I was looking back at those ga- that 2006 game today, and he looked like a 32-year-old veteran then. Mm. Uh, I assume he wasn't. He must have been in his early 20s. But, uh, listen, enough about Andy Good. I, I, I'm, I'm almost Why trying to be unfair. Why are we saying Good when his name is Good? Andy Good. Well, there's an E at the end. 
I know, but isn't is it not pronounced good? Presumably. No, well, not in rugby, Ken. You've got your Alex Goods, good. your Andy Goods. Well, they're the two Goods that I'm familiar with. World. Yeah. Well, fair enough. You know, if that's the way he wants it. Yeah, but I mean, he, like his hair is quite strange as well. I mean, oh wait, you said that we were going to stop talking about yeah. Andy Goods, do you? Well, I mean, well, just I just wanted that on the record. His hair is strange. He's layered it in such a way as to suggest that he's got lots of hair. When he, in fact, he's faced with, with that. He is faced. <laughs> what would you do in a situation? Sorry, yeah. Hypothetically, Ken. Hypothetically, Ken. What would you do in a situation like that? If you were balding in parts but had longer hair in other parts, would you continue to grow those longer pieces of hair? <laughs> Hypothetically. Well, I, I, I don't know what this man Andy Good looked like yeah. in the past. Uh, if he ever had, uh, if he ever had long hair in the past. But I don't know. I mean, if you've ever uh, looked at a man who has long hair and yet is b- going bald, and thought to yourself. <laughs> Why does that pathetic idiot not just cut off his hair? Yeah, Wait, who does, he, who does he think he's kidding? Yeah, um, it is a funny thing you'll find that if you uh, if you have grown attached to having long hair, uh, the the moment of realization sort of is is an evanescent thing. It always seems to be maybe manana. Hmm. You know, I think I'm doing okay. I think <laughs> I'm I think I'm still getting away with it. And you can you can go. A long way down that um, rabbit hole, and it looks to me as though Mr. Good, I, I, you know, I've I've got a certain empathy with. Uh, mm. with I think he, I think he looks good. I think Andy, he looks great. Andy Good, which is who we were really talking about for the last minute or so. Andy Good. I don't know if you saw the incendiary interview given by Luke Fitzgerald, by the way. <laughs> after this one, why do you laugh? It wasn't really that incendiary, was it? Are you talking about the? He's uh, the most polite man I've I well, think I've ever. Allow heard. me to read out these quotes as quoted by Jerry Thorne. I'm amazed that this hasn't got more traction. He lays waste to his teammates, Ken. This is the. It's not even an unwritten rule. I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's in people's contracts that they're not allowed to go into the media and start slamming their own teammates. Yeah. Listen to what Luke Fitzgerald had to say. Reese Ruddock, he talks about, who's coming back from injury. I just think he's a class act. He's gone slightly unnoticed. Though he came uh, came on the radar more in November. He's just a mutant of a man. You can't. You can't Luke the him. Lash Fitzgerald. For me, always Darcy. Darcy was the best guy to watch because of his footwork and the stuff he could do. He's got the shape for it. The little Hobbit. <laughs> I mean, it's a, like, come one. on now. Obviously, you learn a lot off Draco. For me, as a player, the things you learn from him. Not from the showers, but honestly, he has the biggest balls. I, I don't know. He's just going into into territory here. I'm where shocked. I'm actually shocked. Luke, the mild mannered Luke Fitzgerald. Calling uh, someone a mutant isn't great. Like. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't walk up to Reese Ruddock and say, "Hey, Reese." Only in rugby mutant. is that actually a massive compliment. Yeah. Reese Ruddock, I can't believe you called me a mutant, Luke. Thanks so much. Yeah, <laughs> you're a no, beast. I'd be, I'd be really hurt by that. To be honest, you know, I mean, if you can be a beast, at least that means that you're just a, you know, you're you're at least you're a creature. You know the, the, you know the the exact. No, go on, please continue. I'm interested in this demarcation between beast and mutant. Well, a beast. I'm sure our a... podcast listeners are really interested no, in be- it too. A mutant is it, it, some change has occurred like the recently turtles. in the genetic. The yeah. turtles are mutated, and they're exactly. I mean, you're talking, tea, really. you're talking about. You know, there's been some sort of DNA. If someone's gone in there and mixed your DNA. You're a mutant. A beast is just a, you know the beast of the field. God has created the beast. The beast of the field. God did not create a mutant. Well, a mutant. No, Science a mutant is just a, a recent. I mean, I mean, we're all the product of of lots of mutations, are we not? I, mu- know. I mean, you I might know, call okay, a mutant. A mutant would be you know some creature which had recently departed from the time-honored uh, genetic code of its species. Uh, but that's nothing to. I mean, that's that's a fairly commonplace occurrence over the millions of years of evolution. We could talk about this. In hundreds of years, we might all be Reese Ruddocks, is what you're basically saying, Ken. Um, we he's, c- just, uh, he's an outlier, an evolutionary outlier. Yeah. And that's what Luke was really getting at. So, okay, well, uh, we've, we've, 
We've come to a conclusion here, Owen. Thankfully, and we'll talk about the rugby itself uh, very shortly. Leinster, I think, rode their look, it's fair to say, all weekend, right up until the point the semi-final draw was made, at which point they were handed most likely Toulon away, assuming they get past Bath in the quarters. But uh, a home quarter final is a pretty sweet result, so we'll get into that. Um, we're also going to talk to one of Ireland's top sportsmen on today's show, Ruby Walsh. Delighted to say he rode one of the country's greatest ever horses to victory at Leopardstown yesterday. Hurricane Fly's fifth Irish champion hurdle victory. And we're, what we're particularly interested in here, Murph, is that Ruby Walsh is faced with a decision now that other sports people never face, really. Mm. You don't ever decide what team you're going to play for on a given weekend. <laughs> you get to like the, the knockout stages of the Champions League and then have to be faced with a choice. Do I play for Chelsea or Ooh. AC Milan this weekend? Yeah. But, uh, Who's going to give me the best chance of victory here? Ruby faces this deci- decision for Cheltenham. He can stay in Hurricane Fly or he can ride Faheen, who's also mm. a Willie Mullins horse, unbeaten. Yeah. That's, it's a little bit of a, of a tough decision here. And um, the sort of thing that you would second guess yourself about quite a bit, I'd imagine. Not if you're Ruby Walsh, though, I wouldn't say. Well, Ruby Walsh doesn't strike me as a second guesser, Murphy. He strikes me as a guy who makes a decision. Doesn't and guess at all, actually. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is, it's, it is a very, very strange sporting situation that he found himself in. But can I paint you a little picture about the Irish champion hardly yesterday? Sure. Uh, I was driving back from uh, Galway, desperately searching, uh, searching the dial to try and find live commentary of Galway versus Roscommon in the FPD. League final. Uh, Commiserations again on that result. Thank you, thank you, on, thank you. For John Evans's boys comment. go marching on. Uh, f- uh, finally found Willie Haggerty on Shannonside. I thought, blessed relief, I get a full half hour of Willie Haggerty. But unfortunately, Shannonside were travelling between games because the Roscommon Junior Club was playing in Ireland uh, Junior semi final. And congratulations to all of St. Crone's uh, Gaelic Football Club there in Roscommon. Uh, what a, what a victory! Uh, so I had to go searching, basically, for some FBD updates. And I went to RT Radio 1, and they had live commentary of the BHP Champion Hurdle, and it was, sounded absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. The atmosphere sounded absolutely ridiculous. So I said, we, we need to talk about this, this sporting event, on, and I'm, I'm delighted that we have the chance to do so. Absolutely. Uh, before we go any further, though, Murph, you have brought along your virtual mail satchel, so let's dip right in. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay. Ain't nobody with my click. We don't normally click. broadcast click. all the, the stuff click. that comes from scum click. around the country. Ain't nobody fresher than my mother. This week's scumbag. Well, Will Sparks click. has been in click. touch. Uh, it may not be his real name, but uh, Will Sparks has been in touch. And uh, he writes, Hi fellas, listening to your podcast the other day, I noticed that Ken mentioned Winston Churchill and sport in the same sentence. And it reminded me of my very own Winston Churchill and sport story. I was touring with my rugby club a few years ago in the rugby hotbed of Flanders, Belgium. We were sitting down having a few post-match beers with a former club president, Paul Van Kouvelet. Vanner, who, was, as his name would suggest, is of Belgian extraction. He's in his early 70s and is a warm, well-respected guy within the club. As conversation and beers progressed, the topic of conversation switched to who is the most famous person you have met? Remind me to invite me to your next party, Will. Uh, everyone racked their brains as names like Tiger Woods, Bono, and Brian O'Driscoll were thrown out smugly by the group. When it came to Vanner's turn, he had a think and calmly proclaimed, Winston Churchill. It turns out his father was a Belgian member of Parliament, and when Winston Churchill was visiting the Parliament, they wanted to have a perfect Belgian child to show the visiting dignitary. A four-year-old Vanner had met Mr. Churchill and blown all of our encounters out of the water. Next week, my mixed doubles partner who met Napoleon. Cheers, (laughs) Will. I was going to say, yeah, just your uh, obligatory Winston Churchill-related... Yeah, no biggie. Anecdote. Yeah, I mean, listen, if there are any other Winston Churchill-related anecdotes from any of our listeners... 
we'd be very and do you it does need someone to actually meet Winston Churchill. You've got one more. Sorry, Ken. Yeah. Who who would be the most famous person you've met? What does met mean? I mean, I saw Tiger Woods. I asked him a question at a press conference. Well, I saw Bono. I, two of the I'd people mentioned. Counts. Two of the people I mean, mentioned there. I being, have actually seen. You know, you you've seen Tiger Woods. You've been there. Mm. Well, he's been there. That's counts as a meeting. You don't yeah, have to have had dinner or, or you know played a few hands of craps or whatever. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, Steve. Young. Steve Young. Who's, who's, Steve, who's, who's Young? Steve Young? In San Francisco. Oh, Nighttown. Another Nighttown story. Oh, well, speaking of Nighttown, Murph, I also met Carlos Santana there. <sighs> okay, well, I know him. <laughs> Sold him a pair of size five shoes. We, we, I've been through this story. Size, size five? five? Oh, he's a small man. Have you ever seen him? Carlos Santana. He's Simon Hicks size. It's Yorkshire feet. River size feet. Mm. Unbelievable. So you're saying Tiger Woods? Yeah, out of those. Uh, well, Bono. But everybody in Ireland's met Bono at some stage. I haven't met Bono. Have you not? No, no, I've never seen him. Well, I saw him at a gig. Oh, you must have seen him. 2001. Yeah, I saw him. But I've never seen him walking down the street. I've never had a casual encounter with Bono. No. I have, yeah. Okay, all right. What about you, Ken? The great thing was, when I saw Bono, nobody was bothering him. That's what's great about Irish people. We don't bother celebrities. (laughs) You hear this a lot. (laughs) I don't know what they do in other countries, but apparently we don't bother Bono. (laughs) Maybe nobody cares about Bono. Nobody bothers bothers Bono at all, but everybody else in, uh, say, Donnie and Nesbitt or whatever, I've seen Bono in there is just whispering to them, oh, you have seen your man there. (laughs) You've seen him over there. Plenty of money to hear. Uh, So we've an email (laughs) email from Adam Robert Burke. Scumbag number two. Uh, Dear Sir Madam, my name is Adam Burke, contacting you on behalf of the Blue Jean Country Queen Festival. Our festival runs every June bank holiday weekend in Athboy County Meath and is a Mokranaferma festival currently in its 28th year. Uh, This year we're hoping to make our festival the biggest and best yet and with this in mind, I'm contacting you to request information about possibly getting Kieran Murphy to be an interviewer of the contestants. Uh, The interviews are conducted on stage and generally there are 24 or 25 contestants. We believe that the interview is basically just a chat with the contestants and having good crack could be exceptional with Kieran as host, judging from his interviews that I've seen and heard. We would love if he would be willing to get involved with us in the festival. I'm sure you probably get plenty of requests like this, but I can guarantee that he will be well looked after and we would really, really appreciate it. I look forward to hearing from you. Kind regards. Adam. What's the name of the event again? That would be the Blue Jean Country Queen Festival. Oh, and unfortunately, I am, I am busy. I think you June should go. Bank holiday weekend. I think you should definitely do that. Massive no, no, I brand a, synergies there. No, I have... Uh, I don't know how you can afford to ignore those synergies. I have a prior, prior engagement and... Uh, Sorry, I won't be able to make that. But I hope to, in the future, perhaps for the 30th, it's the 28th year, so maybe for the 30th anniversary. Are you doing some kind of a, a lovely girls contest or something? On that, on that particular weekend, no, no, unfortunately I have, uh, I have a prior engagement. <laughs> <laughs> What's the email address there for? Uh, the email address is editor at psychicaptains.com and all uh, serious and indeed semi-serious uh, requests for work will be taken extremely seriously by all three of us. <laughs> Alright, let's get into the Rugby Leinster. Let's slip a 14-point lead against Wasps in case you weren't following things. This is the final pool game in the Champions Cup on Saturday but they did come away with a draw and had a couple of amended nervy day on Sunday. I saw Jordy Murphy was tweeting that he it felt like watching Gillette Soccer Saturday in the final day of a particularly exciting Premier League season he's flicking between the stations and seeing what sort of favours could be done for them fortunately for Jordy and for his teammates Montpellier had nothing to play for against Toulouse but managed to beat them regardless and it all means a home quarter final against Bath who uh, who beat Glasgow in their final game it's followed though by a semi-final against Toulon or Wasps the winner of that quarter which will most likely be Toulon and that match will take place in France so that's right down the ways the first thing to worry about is that quarter final at home against Bath Jerry Thorny's on the way into us Shane Horgan is ready to go Shane I'll start with you so uh, I just want to ask you if Leinster 
Uh, we did. We were speaking to you last week, and you made the point that if Leinster could play expansively enough and could be positive against Wasps, that they'd win that game. And you felt that they won that game with the players coming back and the other uh, possible advantages they might have later in the tournament. They would have a chance of going and doing a bit of damage and possibly going all the way. How are you feeling after they drew? Yeah, I suppose um, they went, or certainly showed signs for the opening period of the game that. Um, they were building on what they'd done last week. Um, I thought some of their, their play was is impressive. You know, they they started off with a real flurry, but um, th- the wheels sort of did come off a little bit at the end. They got a bit panicky. I think again, yes, panicky, but also they became a little bit uh, introverted. They became a little bit conservative. It's the one uh, thing that we've identified this year, and I think for you know for a number of years with with Irish teams, they have to do something different. Uh, it was a real uh, mantra of of monsters and, and uh, um, of Alan Gaffney's that you, you can't die wondering. And I think that's very much the case with all Irish teams at the moment. Um, you can't take on teams or they have less success if you just try and be conservative. If you don't, if you try to play a low risk or or in Leinster's case, sit on a lead. You need to keep on going after it. And if they continue, if they continue with that, if you know they've got a couple of weeks to build now, albeit not with their entire team, but it's a, like if the philosophy has been um, ingrained and and developed, and then the players come back, and you know that is really what they're going after. Then they have an opportunity, certainly to beat Bath. You know, as it worked out, they've had just a phenomenal bit of luck on the draw. Bath at home is probably mm-hmm. as good as you could ask for. They'll have, you know, if they if they come out firing at all, they'll have too much for Bath. I'm certain of that. And then it's um, you know there's an opportunity to go down to Toulon, which you wouldn't relish. But um, if there was ever a case of having to 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 um, not defend and, and try something different, then they'd be the team to do it against. They, uh, I don't think players or coaches even really hide the fact anymore that it's uh, beyond advantageous to get a home quarter final. It seems almost essential. I'm quite interested in that because I'm sure when players are going away and playing the matches away from home, you're supposed to get into the mindset that it shouldn't make a difference, but Clearly, it seems to, in, in this competition above all else, even more so than, say, in the Six Nations. Yeah, it seems, it seems to make a huge difference. Um, luckily, Leinster have gone away and won a Heineken Cup off the back of winning their way uh, semi-final. And that's in the club and it's in a lot of the players that are, that are still playing now. And that's, I think that's important that, that it can be done. Um, I think... Uh, it's it's a it's it's very strange, and I I'll go back to that um, game, the quarterfinal last year against Toulon. There was definitely a point that at halftime I thought Leinster had this because there was a point that that enthusiastic crowd of Toulon were just about to turn. It was it start. It was just about to become instead of being a positive, it was just about to become a negative. You know, you can feel the tension in the crowd. You can feel the stress levels. Uh, raised because remember Toulon at home do not lose. It's like Claremont; they do, you know it's, they're just not expected to lose. So if you're in a position of the, to uh, and they are under pressure or they're in a position they're not feeling comfortable in, that you know contributes goes right around the stadium, and that sort of negative energy has you know it's like the, all the air is sucked out of the stadium. I've been in stadiums when it's happened before. These you know, and these are some of the most. Um, I suppose uh, aggressive and, and hostile stadiums you can when they're quiet 
it's amazing what can happen. And you just have to keep yourself in the game. You know, you can't, yeah, you can score tries and go into a lead and that's fantastic. But, you know, it, and a team, the other opposition can, can come back. But what you have to do is be in a position in the crucial moments of the game, which is going into the final quarter to be in touch. You don't even have to be ahead, but you have to be in touch. And then that stress starts to come on the home team. It reverts from you know, a positive to a negative. And um, Leinster didn't get to that position against Toulon um, in the quarterfinal a, a number of years ago. But you see it. It happens very often throughout this competition. Jerry Thornley's popped into us. Jerry, we spoke to yourself and Shane last week about the uh, relative chances that the provinces have in the next few years of competing for players and just competing generally at this level. How important is it in that context that Leinster are through and have their home quarterfinal in terms of the financial and promotional benefits attached to that? Is that important at all or is it just simply about this team, this season, getting into the quarterfinals and getting a good draw? bit of both um, and also bottom line maybe an extra 750k thereabouts for Leinster's coffers which will help them maybe stay competitive in the marketplace for with their rivals from across Europe so I think that's important I think it's very important for the whole psyche of Irish rugby that this new format the inaugural um, European Champions Cup which was set up primarily by the Anglo and French club access to improve a lot of the Anglo French clubs didn't turn into an Anglo French carve up in the last eight and that Leinster should be pat on the back from everybody in the Pro 12 for achieving that but there's no doubt that, the, that there's a considerable march now coming from the French and English clubs and it's going to make it more difficult, as I've said repeatedly in this programme. And um, you see today, like, the top 14 have done a new deal with Canal Plu for £75 million a year for the next four years. Um, this is way out of the, the league, a remit of anything the Pro 12 can get. While Guinness are announcing next, that next, this season's final is going to be in Ravenhill, that's you know, clearly a Guinness-led decision, but it's nothing like the same coffers coming, money coming into the coffers of the Pro 12 clubs. So it's exponentially, it's going to get more and more difficult and it's very important that Leinster stayed alive and afloat, but I think it's a, a measure of the future. You spoke to, Mike, back to that, but you spoke to Matt O'Connor at the weekend mm-hmm. and I was interested in, we, I referenced the criticism that the team have had, but generally it seems to be Matt O'Connor taking it in the neck, but he said to you, look, the personal attack on players in the environment is unnecessary. In any given context, they are unjustified and he went on to explain why he feels that is. Ha- have there been particularly personal criticisms towards the players? I haven't, they've passed me by if there have been. He's heard them, certainly, and others have heard them. There's been, it, it's comments in the stand. Well, and are we talking Jimmy Goppert here mostly? Jimmy Goppert, Kane Douglas, Michael Bent, they've copped it more than most. Um, common thread, maybe they're all overseas players, not home-based players. So, so uh, what a manager or what a coach deems as a personal attack might be different from, I would have thought that, they're prof- that, that that's legitimate criticism of a player yeah, as yeah. opposed to, yeah, yeah. a personal yeah, attack yeah. just means against yeah, the person yeah. as opposed to... Well, I have not heard any comments in the stand, but clearly he has or been made privy to them. I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's that's what he said. He didn't highlight any individual players, but they're the ones you'd imagine that have been copping the flack so far. Yeah, yeah. Shane, is that the kind of thing that gets into players? Do players like building something out of that? The idea that they're being criticised more than maybe they actually are. Well, you got to you got to expect criticism from from the stands anyway. That's you know that's the least of any players' worries. You're always going to get you know fans. That's their sort of job, isn't it? That's that's their that's what they're there for. To, to you know to cheer, but also to complain. So that's what they do, and I. It's not an issue. I don't think it shouldn't be an issue to player. I don't think even match will really draw attention to it because it's not a big deal. If there is, um, you know, ad hominem attacks on on players' uh, um, character, then you know they're wrong. I haven't heard too many of them. I've heard legit- legitimate criticism, and I've been you know one of the people to legit- legitimately criticise. Uh, 
you know, some of the um, skill level, some of the uh, techniques and, and some of the play of, of those individuals, not so much Kane Douglas, but uh, certainly um, the other two. And I think that's that's legitimate. Um, and, uh, you know, there's been criticism of, of, of Matt as well. I think that's been uh, legitimate. I don't, um, you know, I don't read every article. I don't watch every uh, clip. But um, I think, you know, what I've heard is that it's been, a, there has been legitimacy to it. And I think at the same time, there's been, um, you know, the, the, since the last couple of weeks, you said there's been a turnaround in some performances, mm-hmm. and and if there is a turnaround in performances and players have done well and they get pat on the back, then you know that's the other side of the coin as well. But uh, you're never going to be a situation where players aren't going to be critiqued, and most of all, those you know, Matt was the one saying there was coaches were coming out after games, players were coming out after games saying what they were, how they were performing wasn't good enough, and I don't, I think they were quite critical of themselves, and and. Uh, I don't think there was anything you know, too hostile. They might be. He, he actually said that himself as well. You know, the, 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 the criticisms of the skill levels and the coaches were justified, and the, the, the skill levels weren't exactly where he wanted them to be either. They might be in a situation, um, Jerry, where they could be even more bullish if they'd performed a little better in the second half of the weekend. Completely. What, what do you think about where they're at now, based on what you saw and based on the draw that they've been given for the next couple of games? Well, I keep overlooking the Bath quarterfinal, but based on how the draw has panned out for them. Well, yeah, a couple of things. The first half performance was very good, predicated on strong set pieces, good accuracy, putting the ball out in front of the carriers, some very nice variations in attack, some good spot moves. Um, the criticism of them was that they should have been more than 20 points to six ahead. They left a couple of tries behind and they left a couple of kicks behind and the game should have been over at half time. You always feel that if you give a, you know, give a sucker an even break and it's going to come back and bite you and so it happened. And then when Wasps got their momentum, Owen Redden was a loss, Jamie Heasel was a loss, some of their game management wasn't good. Uh, Isaac Boss put up a poor high kick, Jimmy Gobber kicked the ball dead, Devin Turner threw out a bad pass, they started to miss tackles, they scrambled well, they were very brave, but it became ragged and, and it was disappointed really. I think a team with genuine Champions Cup winning credentials would have put that game away and you, you can't overlook the Bath game really because you know our, Leinster have now shown four, a strong form guide against the English sides and that is they lost away and drew away and won by one point at home and won by a score at home. That would suggest the bookies have it right when they make Leinster 10 to 1 shots and Bath 13 to 1 shots to win this tournament. They will be marginal favourites at home to Bath but based on their four performances to date against the Premiership opposition that's all they'll be. Alright Shane I know you have to get on there just before I let you go the, uh, we've kind of touched on the, the bigger uh, picture here and that is that in the previous five seasons the Celtic League representation in the last eight has been three to five teams were in there a few years back two teams and three teams only one this time around uh, and Leinster weren't exactly comfortable in, in qualification necessarily even though they got a home quarterfinal in the end do you put that down to the, the new competition structure or anything in particular? Well to, to some degree it's a new competition structure it is harder to get out of the groups but I think it's kind of you know it's disappointing from a pro 12 um point of view that this um competition has started this year and it's you know there there has been a, a bit of a coincidence that it has just started at the time when the that the pro 12 ha- is probably at its, at its weakest since you know some of its early years and certainly at its weakest since uh, we saw the um maybe uh, the um, consolidation of, of some of the um Scottish and Welsh um, regions. Um, so from that point of view, it all looks as if, you know, from a perspective of a, a French or an English team, it looks like, oh, well, listen, we got the structure right. After all, those Irish teams and those, um, you know, the, the Pro 12 teams, they they had it easy and now this new structure has worked out perfectly. But I don't think that's the case. I think there's been a slip in the Pro 12 in the last number of years 
and uh, I don't think the top end of the of the Pro 12 is as good as it is. And uh, never mind the middle and the bottom bottom end. So from that point of view, um, it's it's there is a sort of an unfortunate coincidence. Um, it's inconvenient for the Pro 12 teams. Um, I think I don't know if the standard of the whole competition has has you know raised a lot this year. Um, the last two rounds were exciting for me, and, and some of the quality was good. But before that, uh, I think there was a distinct lack of quality and distinct lack of um, interest in games. And hopefully that changes um, for the for the quarters and semis and finals. But um, I think that if you look at the teams that existed, um, you know, a Munster team uh, a number of years ago, they would have no problem getting out of that group at all. I think if you look at the, even the trouble that Leinster had to get out of this year, they haven't really been firing. That's not a strong group that they got out of, a, uh, uh, you know, f- as far as I can see. Ulster didn't get playing this year at all. Last year they would have got out, got out of the group. Um, so and you know the the friend the um, Welsh provinces just are having a stinker this year. So um, coupled with the fact that Glasgow didn't perform on the couple of days that they should have performed, I think you know to say it's inconvenient is uh, is an understatement. All right, Shane Horgan, brilliant, thank you. Thanks, Jerry. What do you think? Does uh, has the standard been raised massively? Has the structure changed significantly enough for uh, to account for the paucity of quarter finalists from our own league? Always a danger, even in its previous guys, to read too much into the results of one season. Um, I remember one year there was an all-French final and people that did, and Matt Williams, whose opinion I would respect hugely, it was in the middle of the Irish um, dominance, I think it was in the gap year between Leinster and Munster winners with an all-French final, here comes the, the, the reign of the French. To it, and then Leinster go and win it three times in four seasons. You know what I mean? So it's, it, you can read too much into one campaign. I think what this year has shown is that you can qualify after losing your two games more readily than you could in the past, and you can qualify for as little as 17 or 18 points. Um, and only one team had qualified before the last weekend, and a dozen went into it in contention on the last weekend. So in a general sense, I think what you can say is that it's going to keep teams more interested, which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, as for the decline or otherwise of the Irish, you'd have to say that Leinster, Munster and Ulster are not the team they were last year or year before or year before that. And the main um, fall in the Pro 12 is thanks to the Irish teams falling off. The Welsh have never been particularly strong. The Scots, Edinburgh got in one year, that golden year, 2008-09, when there were five Pro 12 teams. It was always a bit of a freak, Edinburgh getting there as well. I think there were four All-Celtic, there were two All-Celtic quarterfinals and Edinburgh beat Toulouse. So you've got three, Celts, three Pro 12 teams in the last four. I don't think that'll ever happen, that would have ever happened again anyway, regardless of the structure. Um, but Leinster are not quite the team they were. Hopefully they will come back with Johnny Sexton there next season. The likes of Keane Healy, Sean O'Brien, others fitter through longer in the season. I think Leinster, it's fitting that Leinster are the only Pro 12 team in the last eight because they're the only Pro 12 team with realistic credentials about winning that tournament. Um, the English, um, Munster have gone backwards. Ulster, I mean, Munster would always have struggled to get out of that pool. It was a tough pool to get out of. But the nature of the defeat away to Saracens won't go away. That was as bad a beating as they've taken. Um, likewise, the nature of Ulster's beating in Toulon, shipping 60 points, that would have been unheard of in the last three or four years. So they both had a little downturn, for sure, in performance. Leinster less so. Glasgow were unlucky not to make it. Injuries to tight five, I think they might well have beaten Bath away. They played some magnificent rugby. That Vernon Pugh try yesterday was as good as any tries we've seen in the knockout stages. It's a terrible pity. I'm feeling more brotherhood with my fellow Celts than ever before <laughs> in this Anglo-French axis. And I would have loved to have seen Glasgow in the last eight as well. 
you'd have to say there's a bit of a buoyancy, new found buoyancy amongst the Premiership clubs. There is newfound wealth amongst them with the advent of Bruce Craig and other private benefactors, as is the case in the top 14, as well as the advent, most particularly of British Telecom and Bain Sport, upping the prices for Canal Plu and Sky Sports, as well as bringing more money into the coffers themselves. So this is giving them the English and French clubs a newfound wealth. And the English clubs, as we know, can sign one marquee player beyond their salary cap if they do all obey it anyway. Uh, a player like George North, who comes back and you know, is a thorn in a Welsh side like the Ospreys, which is kind of poignant and shows where you're at. Um, and it's going to be more difficult, the top 14 as well. But maybe, just maybe, the new competitiveness of the Pro 12 and needing to get into that top six and that top four and the Welsh starting to make moves towards centrally contracting players may start to make them stronger. You know, Connacht are going to put it up to the other Irish problems. It's good that we've got a stronger Connacht. That's going to, you know, the problems have always driven each other. So let's wait a while and see. Maybe the, the Celtic and the Pro 12 con- clubs can keep, start keeping their better players and maybe even bring one or two more home as the Welsh are doing. And it, you know, the competitiveness right through to the end of the season is going to make that, the standard of that league a bit better because there's no doubt about it, it is at a low ebb and hopefully this will just be a one-off. But the, like I said last week, you know, money talks in all sport. It talks in football. There's no reason why I shouldn't talk in rugby. We talked a lot about Munster last week and their issues, some of mm-hmm. them being money-based or at the, the, whether they have the financial might to really get the best players and keep the best players anymore. They did at least sign off by scoring a lot of tries, yep. Simon Zebo said, isn't it? That was great fun. Simon Zebo's kind of game, I guess, a player Completely. like that who gets to cut the opposition open. Is that a pointer in any way towards the rest of the season or towards rebuilding for next year? Is it just a standalone dead rubber at the end of a pool? No, I think you've got to give Ulster and Munster credit for staying honest until the end. Surprisingly, you have to say the same about Montpellier as well and, and indeed um, Treviso. So that was one good boon for the competition, that team stayed honest till the very end even though there was nothing tangible to play for. And to do away with the seeding system is a big flaw in the tournament, as is doing away with the winners of the Challenge Cup qualifying for the European Cup. Just an aside, I think that's a flaw that still will need to be rectified before everybody praises this new tournament as the best thing since the sliced pan. As for Munster, I think it's important that they signed off no less than Ulster with um, a flourish. But you have to put it... And it was... It also showed that they can add other strings to their bow and they don't have to be as restrictive in their game plan. And to be honest, they're going to have to add more strings to their bow if they are to topple the sides like Saracens and Claremont in the future. But um, so it was important. But you have to take it in the context of Sale picking a very young side and somebody like Zebo just giving the licence and the freedom to run from anywhere in the pitch. It was a kind of a slightly unreal match. But still, at least they did sign off with nine tries in front of their own fans. And I think having lo- lost a little bit of their aura the week before... Uh, it was important to make some kind of statement as a signing off. And, you know, they still have a lot to play for now because we now know that the Pro 12 matters more. Don't forget, the main reason that Munster were in a group with Clermont and Saracens is because they fell away in the Pro 12 last season. Leinster have come through a f- more favourable draw because they won the Pro 12 and got a number one seeding and got a better draw. So I think that point will come home now more to management and players as the season progresses and maybe to the fan base and punditry as well. Just lastly, you're giving Leinster much of a chance of winning it? The whole tournament, I mean. Um, big players coming back. Big players coming back. Certainly they have a chance. But by the looks of things, not only are they going to have to beat Bath at home, they're probably going to have to beat um, Toulon away in the well, semi-finals. Maybe, was, maybe it could be another break that Leinster get the season that was. That would be a hell of a break. You see, the other thing as well is, like, I, would, I went through the Irish squad today on, and Leinster have 24 players in this expanded squad, but they're liable to have 13 in the match day, 23 in so Rome. how many are going to be still standing? Five of them yeah, are yeah. going to, you know, five... Six Nations games and then followed by a quarter final, potentially a semi final, and a final in an 11 week period. 
eight cup finals in 11 weeks. That's the other point I don't even stress. know Jamie Heaslip can do that, never mind the others. Everything's been compressed this year. Absolutely. In the new and that, cup. And yeah. that goes against a bulk supplier in the Six Nations like Leinster. Mm-hmm. By contrast, Toulon, you know, with their checkbook philosophy and their supposed salary cap and bring in a team of Galacticos from the Southern Hemisphere and elsewhere, might contribute Matthew Bastro and Martin Castro Giovanni to the Six Nations and nobody else. And they're as fresh as daisies when the knockout phase comes around and they can rotate their squad and target matches much like they used to criticise the Irish teams for doing in the I past. I was going to say, we, <laughs> the Irish teams have usually gotten the good end of the deal yeah, in, the, in that yeah. way, but maybe no. this time of year and with the new structures... It has to work against a bulk supplier in the Six Nations. It sure. just has to. So it's going to be very... The two things an Irish team needs to win Heineken Cup or European Champions Cup are to come through the Six Nations unscathed and to get a home semi-final. Leinster have missed out in the first and we have to wait to see how the next six weeks, seven weeks goes for them. All right, Jerry, we'll chat to you again next week, I'm sure. Thank you. Cheers. interested to hear people's take on the sense of occasion around that Leinster game. It felt like a big match to me, certainly it being a... It's always nice when it's set up, the two teams playing each other. It turns into a proper cup match, uh, to use a cliche, if both teams can get through by winning it. But I don't know, these, these matches that are on BT Sport, I'm not sure how many people in Ireland have necessarily shelled out for BT Sport so far. And certainly when you're on Twitter during games... You're, I'm not noticing the same sort of activity as there yeah. is around even around Sky Sports matches whatever about the days when it used to be terrestrial TV yeah well I went 12 rounds with uh, Tony and Francis Murphy this weekend was going home to Gola for the weekend but realised that I needed to see this Leinster again <laughs> yeah. so I rang them on Friday I actually thought that they had BT I don't know why I thought this I rang them I said you guys have BT Sport right and they said I know we couldn't be paying that so I stumped up the cash I said listen I'm either going to have to go to the pub and spend 20 quid anyway probably to watch this game or hey Let's just let's just do it. I'm gonna, but it's like 22 quid to add to your Sky package. Right, the standard package. That's kind of it's steep. enough if you want to watch all the rugby. Yeah, Man, it really is. Now, on the other hand, I did kind of feel, you know, maybe my mum and dad might actually get some use out of this because I got up on Sunday morning and my mother was watching Fletch and Sav, <laughs> Andy Murray against <laughs> Gregor Dimitrov. <laughs> no, she was watching that show with Danny Kelly and Danny Baker. Yeah, uh, I've never seen that one. <laughs> yeah. Very strange show, sort of like a radio show on TV. Uh, yeah. but it, but it's officially a television show. Uh, that's how they yeah. promote it. Anyway, it's a TV I, station after all. Yeah, I, I think they'll probably get get enough because I woke up. There was man watching uh, Murray Dimitrov. Okay, she'd already texted my auntie Margaret uh, saying, "Are you watching the tennis?" To which my auntie Margaret texted back and said, oh, I was up until 4am uh, on Saturday night stroke Sunday morning watching the tennis, so you, you better believe I'm up. So I think, in general, my family have enough interest in sport to get the value out of it. You know, I, I think, I think they'll, they'll probably do okay. More on the crazy antics of Tony and Francis Murphy on oh. next week's Irish Times. Well, that, that's podcast. unless they do something zany between now and Thursday. Coming up in the football show. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup.
I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for 16 hours. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. What are you doing down here, you shawnee man? Well, Alan, it's a sad day for people who love a certain type of languid, old-fashioned South American football, which isn't really very effective at the highest level. That's because one Roman Raquel May has confirmed his his retirement. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk to Tim Vickery about Raquel May and his legacy, which is a very pompous word, really, to apply to the body of work of a football player. But yeah, his legacy. Juan Roman Raquel May's legacy. And the legacy of the FA Cup weekend, Owen, and uh, whether uh, and how it helps us to pass by those uh, you know, 72 hours in our lives that we'll never see again. Yeah. Uh, myself and Murph... Our fans at the tournament. We still believe no, we, no, we, the magic of the I, I should say I enjoyed not Saturday. Not condescending to actually watch any of the matches, oh, well, but not, steadfastly not believing whoa, in the whoa, magic whoa, of whoa, the competition. Whoa, hold <laughs> Just you wait a minute there. I'm sure that over the course of the weekend I watched 90 minutes of football. Hmm. Not, does it count, not does it count when you're watching a game, but you're really just mostly... Doing other stuff at the same time, reading the paper, checking Twitter, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, nobody. To be honest, very. Does anyone watch full games these days? Very few people are watching the game. I mean, I I do worry for the future of sport as an entertainment business, uh, because unfortunately, just there's just not enough going on to really capture and hold a 21st century attention span anymore. I mean, you got to remember that when people first crowded together to start watching football and that. There wasn't really a hell of a lot else going on. Maybe, you know, they were working in the, in, you know, in a in a cotton mill, or a woolen mill, or a coal mine, uh, and by the time it came to to go and watch the game, you know, green grass, uh, people running around, uh, the excitement of you know the, the songs and chants and everybody being, you know, together, it was a really a, a gripping, compelling spectacle. Now it's just oh, there are no replays. I don't. I want to find out what's going on on Twitter. There's a lot of other stuff on TV. Do you think the sports that have breaks built into them will be previewing the Super Bowl with US Murph this Thursday, for example? Mm. That that kind of sport, the NFL, will thrive because people will do all their Twitter stuff during the massive long breaks in play and will then be able to fully focus on the very short bursts of actual sport. Maybe. They might thrive in future years better. I don't know because during the does require, you know, a lot of a lot of stuff that happens in football is pretty boring. During the breaks and play, a lot of the time people are waiting to see if they can get on the on the TV themselves. I mean, why else go to the stadium, which only leaves the short burst of play for for checking Twitter and doing doing essentially all your online stuff. Um, where you know, otherwise you'll have to be you'll have to be concentrating when the camera's not showing the actual live action, in the hope that you may appear on the big screen in the stadium. So. Uh, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm a little concerned. Gonna, We're only at the beginning it. of this thing. Yeah. You know, it, as as recently as 2009, a football match was gripping entertainment. I could, I could, I could imagine sitting watching an entire football match from beginning to end, beginning to end, literally paying attention to the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. That was as recently as five years ago. Now, it's crazy <laughs> talking. It's quite hard to do that. Now. You know what I'm saying? I feel like I'm part of the last generation to but, know what a lot of things but are Ken, like. But Ken, do you know? You know, sometimes when you charge your phone, yeah, you know, during a football game, yeah, kind of revolutionizes the whole situation. Like your phone is is it's, plugged it's, in it's at plugged the wall, in like so you're lying on the couch, away, away from the couch. Yeah, so you're well, it's plugged in at the kitchen there beside the kettle. Well, to be honest, I've actually got one of those little portable chargers that you carry around. Oh, 
Um, that There's really you, no hope for you, is there? Gives your phone a charge and a half. Yeah. So I can actually lie there charging my phone. Yeah, I, I don't know, Ken. I don't know what to tell you. This is, you know, <laughs> there's not much There's not much chance for you now, really, is there? You've effectively given up. Yeah. Well, I'm not trying to say I'm some kind of special case. You know, I'm looking around and I'm, I, I'm, I'm wondering if this is indicative of, of, of wider trends. The Irish champion hurdle was on yesterday in Leopardstown. It's Ireland's most prestigious hurdles race and was won by Hurricane Fly for fifth time, a record-breaking fifth time. 22 grade one wins for this horse, which is really extraordinary. And Ruby Walsh was on board, joins us now. Ruby, great to talk to you and congratulations on the win yesterday. I know the life of a jockey is quite a relentless one, but did you get a chance to celebrate this a bit? Uh, yeah, it went out last night. Um, chilling with a few friends and for a bit of dinner. Um, but yeah, look, um, I guess when you have days like yesterday, um, they can pass you by quick enough, so you have to celebrate them some bit, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. It looked absolutely great. Did it feel like a, like one of those special occasions? Ah, yeah, it did. I suppose um, things probably feel a bit better when they don't look, always look likely. And, uh, you know, halfway I thought I was struggling and, uh, and maybe it wasn't going to be Hurricane Fly's day, but... Um, the further the race went, the better he seemed to be going, and he really dug in in the horse, and um, yeah, it was great to win. Jeski faltered a little bit at the last. Um, I, I I read some of your quotes afterwards, Ruby, and I, I assume you felt you would have won regardless. I thought I had his measure going to it. Um, look, you never know, um, and you have to jump to win. And um, you know, he made Jeski made a very bad mistake, and it probably enhanced my winning margin more than anything. But I, I did think I had him covered going to the last. Um, but look, who knows? You have to jump to win, and um, my fella jumped, and Jeski didn't. You're up against AP McCoy, which is always great for fans of the, fans, any sports fans. Really, does it make any difference to you? I know you're friendly with AP, and you've ridden against him for so many years. Does it does it get the competitive juices flowing even more? No, not really. No. Um, you know, if he's a, an amazing jockey, um, doesn't get it flowing. You prefer to be going challenging with a probably a lesser rider riding it rather than yeah. than, than the greatest. So. Uh, um, it doesn't make it any easier, but I suppose whoever's riding the other one, you have to still ride your same race and ride your own horse. It was a fifth win for Hurricane Fly in this, in this race, 22 grade one wins altogether. Uh, and any time the horse wins one now, it just adds to the, the lore, I suppose. Is this, uh, I, I don't know how you like to rank horses against each other, Ruby, but is this the greatest horse you've been on? Uh, he's one of them anyway, definitely. Um, definitely the greatest hurdler I've ridden. Um, I'll always have a spot, soft spot for Caelan Star. He won five King Georges and two Gold Cups. Um, you know, so trying to split them is like someone asking me to pick one of your kids. But, um, you know, look, I have a huge admiration for the two horses and um, I feel lucky to have, to have come along in an era where these horses were there and, and, and fortunate enough to get the rides on them. It's good for racing as well, I guess, Ruby, because you're a big sports fan. We've chatted to you about your uh, about other sports in the mm. past as well. Uh, Hurricane Fly is one of those horses that can transcend the sport and get people interested. Ah, he is. Every sport needs uh, needs champions. I mean, um, whatever it is, you know, be it tennis, racing, soccer, whatever. Every sport needs needs champions and needs uh, big name stars. The people that the public can latch on to. And, yeah, Hurricane Fly is definitely one of those in racing and. Uh, it's great to be part of his story. There's an idea that he hasn't fully done it at Cheltenham, and despite a couple of victories there, do you buy into that? Um, no, I suppose when you go to Cheltenham, it's the, it's the elite, it's the cream. Um, look, he was good there twice. He's been beaten there twice as well. I suppose one of the years, maybe, you know, if I had it again, I might have ridden him differently. Um, last year, he just didn't seem to perform. But, um, you know, horses aren't quite motor cars. You just can't turn them on every day and they won't do the same thing. 
um, they are animals and they have good days and bad days but um, it's just a pity maybe that Hurricane did have one off day in Cheltenham um, you know but look to me to win in Cheltenham once is amazing and he went and won there twice Yeah and and he may win a, a third time this time around but we don't know yet if you're going to be on board the decision here is that uh, Willie Mullins also has Faheen uh, unbeaten so far so so how, I'm, I'm always interested in how this decision happens Ruby how do you weigh this up about what horse does sentiment come into it in any way no sentiment doesn't um, at the end of the day it, it is a business and you have to make the, the right decision for which one you think is going best and has the best chance of winning the race um, you know and making that decision so far out is like asking I don't know it'd be like asking Joe Schmidt to name his starting 15 for the first Six Nations game this morning yeah. I mean why I mean who could get injured next week, you know? So it's the same thing with horses. I mean, you have to wait and see, do the boat get there? Um, are the boat fitting well? Um, you know, declarations aren't until two days before the race. And until then, you don't know what the makeup of the race is. So, um, you know, you need a decision as long as you can. Do you find this is the kind of thing that a lot of people have an opinion on and maybe share their, those opinions with oh, you? Of course, the, the world will share it with you. Um, but whose opinion? It, it's up to me to listen to the opinions I want to listen to and block the others out. But, that's what's great about racing. Everyone has an opinion. But until the race is won, no one, is, no one knows who's right or wrong. But look, that's what's great about it. That's what, I suppose, builds the interest in the sport. And um, it's the great thing about living in a in a liberal country. Everyone's entitled to opinion and no one is short of giving it to you. I'm sure, yeah. And you're obviously not going to tell us which way you're leaning at the moment. You're not leaning either way by the, by the way you're speaking here. No, it's far no, too soon. No, it's too, way too early. I mean, look, people think, oh, you should make a mind up and make a decision and, and get it out of the way. To me, the decision won't be made until I know both horses are in Cheltenham and they're fitting well, and that'll be the time to work, to start thinking about it and worry about it. Um, but as for now, I mean, the more irons you have in the fire, the better chance you have of riding the winner. All right, well, Ruby, good luck, uh, whoever you're on anyway. Thanks very much for chatting to Cheers us today. No problem, thanks, Mel. Yeah, maybe not too surprising that my question on sentiment was given short shrift by Ruby there. Um, mm. uh, Ruby Welsh, not a man who, who necessarily can, thinks too much about sentiment when it comes to mm. his sporting so, says Ken, if you were one of the many people trying to offer Ruby advice on which horse to take, would you go for the aging but still capable superstar or the unbeaten young challenger? I would go with the superstar every time. Really? Yeah, absolutely. What if it's just too late for that? What if that superstar is just... Well, that's, what you're, that's, that's the risk you're taking, you know? You're hoping that he's still got enough left in the tank. But uh, his reputation is 90% of the battle, you know? Mm-hmm. And that young challenger's got to have something really special if he wants to uh, upset the established order. And most challenges, you know what? They don't have what it takes. We've got a football podcast ready to go for you, so check that out if you get a chance at all today or in the next day or two. It's all fine. On Thursday, I'm sure we'll be talking to US Murph, as I mentioned earlier, previewing the Super Bowl uh, between the non-cheating teams of Seattle Seahawks and uh, New England England Patriots. It's 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 a throwback to Ken's coal mining, uh, uh, cotton mill, factory working fans of 19th century England. That's basically what the Super Bowl is all about. <laughs> if you're looking for the real, the true essence of sport, Ken, then uh, look no further than the Super Bowl. Drop us, evening. drop us an email. You can follow us on Twitter at Second Captains. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. And thanks very much for listening. Thank you, Ken. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 